Welcome to the clan! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. This podcast exists because we want you to win. We want you to be educated. We want you to be motivated. We want you to be inspired to be the best artist that you can be. And we think you all can make a living doing it. That's why we called the show The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. Brilliant. That's our wordsmith. Our wordsmith <laughs> is my co-host, who I would like to introduce you to, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent is an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. He also helps songwriters turn pro by teaching the art, the craft, in the business of songwriting. And you can find Brent at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. It's an innovative artist development company. Basically, they help you find your sound and they help you find your audience. Two things you might just be able to use. Not only do they develop and improve your artistry, they also grow and monetize your fan base, creating that all-important cash flow. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That's production, singular, no S, because there is only one Johnny D. Thank the Lord for that. How are you, brother? Every, every day and twice on Sunday. <laughs> we can't handle more than one. I can't handle more than one. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just enjoying the fact that my life now uh, has a uh, has a silverware drawer that has nothing but chopsticks in one one little pocket of it. Isn't that amazing how go. it quickly changes? It's amazing. We got we were just, used to just be forks, you know, butter knives, knives, spoons, big spoons. Yeah. Now we've added chopsticks. One for chopsticks. <laughs> now, uh, just real quick, do, does uh, Ruby Jean and Ozzy are, are they, they, are they down with the, the chopsticks? Are they chopping with the are sticks? They down with the chopsticks? Uh, no, they've tried. Actually, Ruby's all right with them, and she just turned three. Oh. Like, we were impressed. She was getting some rice up to her face with them the other day. We're like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's How a cool kind of thing to know. Like, you know, you want to go out and eat some sushi later on and stuff. Like, oh. learning how to do that with chopsticks is cool. So And I do want well to go out ahead. and eat some sushi. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's get right into today. This is, uh, you know, one of those check you into the glass kind of episodes on the marketing oh. side from, from yours truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title of this episode is Sorry, Your Awesome Songs Have No Value. Mom? Mom, is that you? <laughs> no, because your mom <laughs> always believes everything. My mom always believes in me. Yeah. No, Johnny, thank you for being as uh, offensive as possible in your titling of this episode. Thank you very much. And, uh, well, I guess we'll be seeing y'all later. <laughs> Adios, it's been fun. That's right. Your songs have no value. It's true. Not yet. Anyway. Oh, yeah, that's that's a three-letter word that's important. Do I have your attention? Uh, here's the deal. I, I mean, I, I talk marketing all day long. I deal, my company deals in marketing. The biggest, while we help artists on the creative side with writers and production, our, the biggest growing part of Daredevil production is the marketing side. And that's because we understand one very intrinsic thing is that 
you know, most artists make the same mistake in believing that their music has value simply because they value it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's good or not, right? <laughs> right. And some art can be, sub- obviously art is subjective, but some art can be objective. Like there's just some crappy songs. There's just some crappy paintings. There's just some stupid statues, you know, like <laughs> right. it, it, that, 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 that are just atrocious. But uh, just because the artist thinks that they're good doesn't mean that they're good. It, it You have to create the value in the marketplace. And by the way, there's some really... You could say, if you come from a snobbery point of view, some poor art that seems to have a lot of value, right? We all have mm. that one or two bands that we just can't believe are on the radio that are multimillionaires because it's so trite, it's so ridiculous. But mm-hmm. so here's the key: it's 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 the reality is that there's exactly zero perceived value in the marketplace for any art until the value is created. Well, let's put it this way. Um, just go to iTunes, start scrolling through random rabbit hole, and are you just like, oh my goodness, there are all these songs I've never heard before. This is awesome, and they're only ninety nine cents or a buck thirty nine or whatever they are. I can't believe it. I'm gonna buy them all. Oh my gosh, they're so I gotta get them all. <laughs> they're so valuable. No, you're like whatever. Next, I'll look at them more. Exactly. Okay. See, so I think the marketing signals get crossed, Brent, like with artists when they inadvertently compare their art, which they think is valuable, to a product that actually has a definite market value before it's even made. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Let me put it this way. Marketing requires reach and frequency. You have to be able to reach a bunch of people and mm-hmm. they have to hear that message. The frequency means they got to hear it over and over and over again before it sinks in, right? We know this about a hit song, right? It takes seven or eight times that each individual person has to hear it before it becomes a um, subconsciously recognizable, I think is the term, okay? Mm-hmm. So... Um, that requires an interruption of sorts, right? Maybe you're waiting for that, you know, in 1993, you're waiting for that new Reba McIntyre hit that you're just dying to hear because you love Reba McIntyre. She's a big, huge star. Oh, here's and, that one chance fancy, don't you let me down. There you go. And then and then here's this interruption with this new artist called, uh, you know, where's the holiday? What was the, where's the holiday? Where's the holiday in at? Or, or what room is the holiday in? Oh, yeah, what what room is the holiday in? That's it. That was uh, you know this new guy. He's never going to amount to anything. Uh, Tim McGraw's first song. <laughs> what room yeah, is I don't the even holiday know in? that. Yeah, yeah, I don't even because it was one. the first record, not the second record, which is the one that had Choctaw Nation or or uh, uh, Indian Outlaw. Yeah, and also don't take the girl. Indian yes. Outlaw on on the second record, but. Um, and so again, like repetition, right? How many times did you have to hear it before it got in there? But the idea being that um, this isn't a product, art is not a product that people need mm-hmm. until you make them need it, right? So uh, for some products, the value is already inherently understood in the mind of the consumer or the mind of the market. For instance, the market understands the relative value of a hammer. MC? MC hammer? <laughs> MC hammer. No, not hammer. Hammer time. <laughs> no, a hammer. Like, I'm going to pound a nail like a hammer. And, and people from time to time, even you know, guys like me, like, I am not a do-it-yourselfer. I'm a get-someone-elser. 
But guess what? Yeah. I own a couple hammers, actually, because I own one and I use it so infrequently I can't find it. But I had a desperate need for a hammer. So guess what I did? I went to Home Depot and bought another freaking hammer because I needed it. And then, you know, months later, I stumbled across the bag of, oh, crap here. Oh, look, here's that hammer that I had. Do mm-hmm. I need two hammers? No. But do I own two hammers? No, I own three. Why? <laughs> because I had a need for them and I couldn't immediately find the hammer. And so I went and spent a couple bucks on a freaking hammer because I needed one. And I understand the value of a hammer. Now, think about that, right? In this scenario, the marketplace can absolutely comprehend the value of this tool and the value that it will bring them. And because we often have this need for hammers, there's a certain amount of money every year that is going to be spent on hammers. So put that in the form of a pie chart. So if you're going to create a new brand of a hammer Mm -hmm. and you have some kind of marketing sense, you can begin to make a dent as little or as big as you want in that universe with decent marketing. Mm-hmm. Even when hammers are good at making right. dents. Yeah, right? Hammers are good at making dents. You know this. My thumb yes. all the time. Yes. And some hammers are used to remove dents, but I digress. Okay. Anyway. So, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, think about this. If you created a new brand of hammer and then you had the wherewithal to have a relationship with a, distrib- with a distributor mm-hmm. like Home Depot mm-hmm. and you would put you could get Home Depot to say, yes, we're going to put your hammer in our store. Mm-hmm. That would be the biggest coup of this. That would change your life forever. Just mm-hmm. having distribution in Home Depot for a new brand of hammer means you're going to, you're going to make millions of dollars because your hammer is going to be there when people need to go and get it. Right? It's going to be there. Yep. It's going to be the one they look at. Let's take another example. How about a, a street vendor in a big city like New York uh, selling cheap umbrellas? They're really not there when the sun's around. But when they know there's a <laughs> storm coming, there's a ton of vendors out there selling these cheap $5 umbrellas. Mm-hmm. And so we know, as a consumer, holy crap, we didn't expect the storm to roll in. We got caught without an umbrella. We're happy to pay the 5 bucks, the 10 bucks for the umbrella. We're not even really that concerned about the quality of it. Right or the brand or is it gonna? Am I gonna look cool wearing it? All I need is is this when I open this thing right now. Until I get to my car or until I get to the cab or until I get to the subway, it's just mm-hmm. gonna keep the rain off my head. And you know the same could be said about other commodities or products that have a very definite value in the eyes of the consumer. How about gasoline, clothing, food, cars? You know, these are things we need in society on a regular basis. Some of them we repurchase more than others, but the need is real for every single one and everyone understands the value of these products. They understand they need these products. Once a consumer knows that they need it, then the value, the price they pay is just another stage of the sort of purchase game, right? Like Mm -hmm. it can be, is it a commodity? Is it something like milk where, you know, you're going to, just have to compete on price because that's what a, the definition of commodity is, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Or di- is it a product that dictates a certain social, st- uh, social status where the price could be higher? The difference between, a, you know, a Geo Metro and a BMW, right? They both um, get you to work. Both are going to get you to work, but hey, this one means I make more money than you. And that's why right, I yeah. for the BMW. It's also, by the way, a better product. There's no doubt about it. It's going to last longer. You go longer without oil changes, blah, 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 blah. But hey, 
you don't need to pay that to get from point A to point B, right? Right. But how much different is it in the world of music and art? Way. If you ask <laughs> a thousand people if they need new music, they're going to tell you they're all set up. I've never said, oh my gosh, I got to have a new... I gotta have a new song. Oh, let me run on iTunes and grab one. Find something I've never heard of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, like your hammer. Like the next thing I know, I don't have one new song. I have three. Why? Because another time I needed a new song and I didn't have one, and I had to run to iTunes and download it quickly. Silly as that sounds, how many artists can like they cross those two things over? They because I mean they're coming at it from. I get why they're coming at it. They're coming at it from a. a they're trying to come at it from a marketing mind. Mm-hmm. But they're not understanding the difference in the marketing of art. You know, with music, the art in marketing is creating value in something that nobody needs. Yeah. I'm going to say that one more time. With music, the art in marketing is creating value in something that nobody needs. The art of music marketing is creating a buzz. You know, if you, if, if distribution was all that was required, like with your hammer. If you can get distribution with Home Depot or Lowe's or a chain like that, you're guaranteed a certain amount of sales. Yeah. Boom. I mean, period. every, every shelf and end cap has a monetary value that and if you don't sell, they'll get rid of you and put someone on there that will. Right. And you would just have to suck. Like you're just, your hammer just has to work. Right. And, right. But hit you know, stuff. <laughs> just hit stuff and make that thing go in. But if All you right. think about it, like you don't just uh, upload your song to iTunes and experience a massive increase in sales. Like if you put your hammer in Home Depot. Yeah. And how many people listening to my voice right now have experienced that? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, and we're know. not talking about the hammer. Yeah. So as artists, if we think that if we make compelling music, we'll get a couple of people to listen to it and they'll love it. And then they'll tell two friends and then they'll tell two friends and so on and so on and so on. That's going to make, that's going to create the brand. Uh, you know, is that the answer? Yes and no. It's- Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. 
it's not that simple. Uh, it's not exactly the way that it happens, it, at least not at first. You know, you, you need to reach a sort of critical mass before that happens. You, you, you must continue to build the buzz until you reach a certain critical mass. And then the brand sort of begins to take on a life of its own. The song mm-hmm. sort of begins to take a, on a life of its own. Until then, you're not done working. Okay? And by the way, when the critical mass does happen, you're not done working either. It's just the job descriptions change a little bit. Hmm. Right? To keep it going. By the time that you've, most of us as consumers, hop on board with most music or artist brands, the critical mass has already been achieved. You know, therefore, like your experience as a consumer was that your buddy turned you on to this because this artist, because it was really cool. And then very soon after that, you saw it somewhere else, right? You, you heard it on the radio. Mm-hmm. You saw it on a billboard. You saw it on a bus. You, they were on TV. They were on the late show. They were on the morning show. They were on this. They were on that. Like, all of a sudden, they're kind of everywhere. And they're all of a sudden, they're in your existence, like, from a lot of different places, right? They're in Rolling Stone. They're in Spin. Mm-hmm. You're like, what just happened? Like, this is incredible. And, and so it feels like it all happens like that. But that's after critical mass, right? Right. Now, did you experience any of that, Brent, with, like, your your biggest hit was, would you say? Monday the, Morning Church. Monday Morning Church. So, yeah. So, what point did you feel, as a writer, that that song sort of took on a life of its own? Was there a well, point I mean, that was discernible to you where you were like, okay, this is really turning into something? Gosh, I mean, it, it moved up the chart pretty quick. I mean, so, you know, there's a, like it had nothing going on until Alan cut it. Mm-hmm. People weren't fighting over it. So and and it keep in a... mind, by the way, so this is Alan Jackson that already had a brand name at this point. Like how many hits oh, yeah. did he have before yeah. your hit? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was probably better before he released my song. But yeah, it was. <laughs> it still has a great brand. But yeah, he's like a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, yeah. by the time he you know recorded the song. So it was a very different thing. It wasn't a new artist trying to get some notice. You know, I mean, he debuted the song on the freaking CMA Awards. Yeah. You know, with Ronnie Dunn introducing, here's Alan Jackson with the heartbreaking song called Monday Morning Church. You know, then here comes Alan Hello. with Patty Loveless on stage singing it. A little different yeah. than, you know, most and new you artists. you couldn't even hear the song over this, uh, the ka-ching sound that was going yeah, it was, off the room. It was pretty cool. <laughs> I, was, I was there. I was at the CMA Awards. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that was, you know, I think it was right before it came out as a single or like right as it was coming out because it was released in the fall right in like award season. So that's where it kind of nationally debuted it. And so, you know, hearing it on the radio, of course, was a, a huge thing, you know, and just, just getting to watch it climb up the charts mm-hmm. and peak at number four. But anyway, <laughs> so all right, darn near Brad Paisley and Gretchen Wilson and Rascal Flats. But anyway, oh. um, yeah, it's all right. Those were all good songs. But so um, that's that's critical mass right there. I mean, that's yeah. where now now it's obviously it's a lot easier with an artist that has a brand name because they're going to get all those spins. They're going to get all that reach on radio. And exactly. They're going to get all the frequency and the heavy rotation of the song. And mm-hmm. when they announce it on the CMAs and every single radio program director is watching the CMAs because that's what's going on. That's part of their right. business. It's almost part of their job description. They better be watching that to a degree, right? right. Yeah. Then to see what's new and what's happening then uh you know so it gets pushed right in there but the when the awareness is in the marketplace is that rampant it's because the reach and the frequency are sufficient but let's what i want to do is i want to break down the reality of 
the climb, if you will, of a brand, mm-hmm. right? So let's take Def Leppard. Um, so their first record that they recorded was called On Through the Night. And it did okay. It got a few radio spins. It actually reached the top 15 in the UK. But it wasn't enough to blow up the stratosphere on their very first record. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of date. This kind of goes back to also managing expectations, like being realistic about what it takes to create value in art and to create mm-hmm. value in a brand that creates art. For in this case, Def Leppard would be the brand they create the art. So first record, um, they get a top fifteen. Hey, that sounds exciting. That's great. I mean, they sell mm-hmm. a few records. It's not enough. They're in debt with the record label, which is typically the way that it would happen. This is in the heyday of the record industry, by the way, early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, it created the opposite. So a little sidebar here, a little value bomb. There's a small group of early adopter fans who loved Def Leppard and, um, you know, from that very first record. But there's also a, a pretty strong legion of haters who shun the band because they thought they were trying too hard to appeal to America as a British band because their first single was Hello America. <laughs> and uh, so takeaway, don't worry about the haters, right? Because we all know right, the, yeah. at the end of the story, Def Leppard turns out okay, right? <laughs> yeah, they did all right. America said hello back. Right, yeah. America said hello back, but not until the second record. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just a whisper, okay? Second <laughs> record was High and Dry. They switched producers to Mutt Lang and recorded High and Dry. And the first single fared about as well as the first single, uh, is the singles from the first record from, from On Through the Night. Uh, but the second single was bringing on the heartbreak, which mm. began to create momentum. And um, mostly it was because for whatever reason, they became, this song was loved by MTV and MTV put mm-hmm. it in regular rotation, which was huge for reach across the whole country. One video, one spin got a lot more views than even one spin, let's say in New York at the Drive at Five, which would be prior to MTV the biggest thing, the biggest reach you could get. Yeah. Right? Like from one entity, let's say. Right, yeah. Does that make sense? One spin, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, and of course, you know, MTV regular rotation in 1981 equals massive reach plus massive frequency, which made the song more popular, which made it far more attractive and more sexy for terrestrial radio. Mm -hmm. And so um, that coupled with, they toured, and they opened up for Ozzy, and they opened up for Blackfoot, and that gave them a lot more reach, right? And, and they got in front of a lot more new people, which is important, like in new people, not the same old people, mm-hmm. not the same old people who already subscribe to your YouTube channel, not the same old people who are already subscribed, already like your Facebook page, or already follow you on Instagram. These are new people that mm-hmm. got on board, right? And even though the record was distributed everywhere, guess what? People weren't shopping for Def Leppard, with that big mm. hit, for the most part, like they were shopping for hammers until after they were exposed to the band enough times. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about being exposed once. They need to be exposed a bunch. They hear that song a bunch, right? So, you know, um, again, because MTV, because of MTV, the song received a lot more terrestrial radio airplay. It got a lot more exposure. But guess what? At the end of the day, when the dust settled in 1981 on, uh, excuse me, High and Dry, the second effort that was the first uh, Mutt Lang produced Def Leppard record, only sold 250,000 copies. Wow. But they built the brand. The brand was bigger mm-hmm. than it was on the first record. And and after the first record, the brand was bigger than it was before the first record. 
Right, yeah. There were nobody. So you've got to think about it like that. So the third effort, Pyromania, now is released to a much larger waiting audience than High and Dry, but they still weren't a critical mass, right? But the production on Pyromania now, this is like a groundbreaking record. This is the first time that super slick Mutt Lang production came into effect and it blew everybody's minds. The songs were amazing because Mutt Lang was... Uh, where he produced High and Dry, he was much more involved in the songwriting as well on Pyromania. Mm -hmm. So the songs were a lot more towards the pop metal angle. Mm -hmm. And the band had really gotten that, also gotten the hang of songwriting over the last two records and they exploded. MTV already liked them, right? So Mm -hmm. they, they were, they were waiting. Radio already liked them. So now this was, this was the one that really blew up. Three records though. Three records it took to create value in that art. Mm-hmm. Over 1980, 1981 to, I think, 1984, Pyromania came out, or 83. It's a long time to create the value in the art. And then they were huge. But we all, I mean, most people, guess what? Well, guess when most, the masses came on at Pyromania? Oh, yeah, for sure. So all they see is Pyromania. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Right? So it's completely different than hammer sales, right? So, I mean, how many new people are exposed to you as an artist with your music every day? You know, most of you emulate your favorite artists on social media by creating like a cool sort of backstage pass into your life. And and you see that a lot, Brent. And mm-hmm. that's a really good function of social media for an artist. But how many new people are discovering you with this approach to social media? You know, you need to continually grow your social media accounts as well as provide the content. That's what, I mean, that's what we do at Daredevil. We expose our artists to new people all the time, mm-hmm. right? And, and a small percentage of those new people are going to like that artist because we're fishing from the right pond. And then it, very slowly, right. it grows the band. This is the difference between using social media as a cool connection tool and then as a marketing tool to gain new fans, not just service the existing fans and both of both approaches are important but the latter is almost always ignored by indie artists so you can expand your work your reach every day you have worldwide reach on your social media and again we've talked about this before brent youtube strategy you know if you're putting across the old covers of your favorite songs god bless mm-hmm. that's great but the only people that are ever going to see them are your current fans right like, nobody knew's looking for that you know so how's that strategy getting you into growth it's not. It's not expanding your brand. And uh, so, you know, current cover hits are what's going to create massive traffic. Some of these people are just going to stumble across your version. And if you're compelling, like our friend Jason Wilkes, who blows mm-hmm. your mind, you're going to gain some new fans. And you're going to do it again and again every single day that you do it. So, By, by the way, I think the audio cut out just for a second and sound like you just said Jason Cock, or Jason blows. Oh, Jason Wilkes. And Jason Jason Wilkes blows your mind. Blows your mind, yes, exactly. It's not like the audio cut out just for a second. Just looking out for you, Jason. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I would be mortified if you thought that. No, he yeah. blows your yeah, mind. Anyway, if you watch this blows. guy, he's freaking incredible. Like, and, and his interpretation <laughs> of anything is fantastic. And he's adopted this, you know, YouTube strategy that we talk about yep. with Daredevil. And he's, and he's, by the way, doing it himself. I'm not doing it. 
He's mm-hmm. just he's just like I'm gonna do it. He committed to it mentally and and, and just hit it. So when you grow su- when you grow sufficiently that the fan base is large enough to begin to take over, you can reach a certain level of critical mass, and then your music has value in the marketplace. And that's when guess what? You get the respect from managers, industry, booking agents. Everybody starts to get interested in you because there's something going on. But yeah, is it about the music? Yes, they're responding to the music because the music is good, but you have to create the value in the music and everybody else responds to the value in the music. And I think too many artists are saying, my music has value because I think so and you should think so too. And until you think so, I'm not going to do anything about it, right? Right. You're wrong yeah. if you don't think my music has value. Well, yeah. So, you know, if you keep taking that approach, then you're going to you're going to starve. You know, you've got to create the value in the music. You have to be the self-starter. You've got to get the ball rolling. And I promise you it, it, I I know this from other in like just from dealing with other influencer marketing companies and them sending me links of, hey, here's why we want some of your artists who we think are influencers to, we want to pay them to do this. Here's some other links that we did because they want to give me ideas of what these other posts were. And I look at these other links. There's people like that have huge audiences for just being like horrific, like vulgar, (laughs) like, you know, in, like they're just fucking crazy. Excuse me, they're crazy. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're like, I just look at this. About vulgar? This is, yeah, this is insanity, right? Like, I'm like, why does this person have 300,000 followers? Because they did something bananas on Instagram. But guess what? They have an audience, they get paid. You have mm-hmm. an audience, you'll get paid. Period. End of story. So mm-hmm. that's all I got for today. <laughs> well, there we go. What? That's that's only like 27 minutes. I know, it's short for me. But anyway, listen, guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, if you don't have the free Twitter book already, it's a best-selling book on Amazon. It's, it, it, it's for beginners. It just demystifies Twitter and teaches you how to use it as a marketing tool. It's a tour through the app, and it shows you how to gain a 1,000 new targeted followers every single month for just 15 minutes a day. It shows you how to expand your audience. It's totally free. Just go to giftfromjohnny.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y, giftfromjohnny.com. And if you're stuck, if, you're, if you reach a certain part where you really need some one-on-one guidance, I'm available for that. Give me a call. We do consulting calls. We, we do charge for this, but you would be amazed at what we can accomplish in less than two hours. And I will go through all of your social media accounts, your website, your web store, anything else that you've got going on your YouTube channel and put together like a strategy for you to follow and give you some, give you some direction. Like here's what you need to do. Like your first day at work, you know what to do because everybody tells you what to do. I'm going to help you out with that. So anyway, um, hey guys, this again, once again, we want you to win. That's why this podcast exists. We hope you found this beneficial. Please share it. Please leave a comment, a rating and review on iTunes. And uh, keep reaching for the, keep re- I keep saying, keep reaching for the keep re- I want to be Casey Kasem. I want to be Casey Kasem. <laughs> top 40. Keep on climbing. <laughs> and we'll see you at the top 40.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 